to another episode of Hoodoo Plant Mamas. I am one of your co-hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Daddy B. And today we are joined by Veronica of Ancestors in Training. Veronica, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, my name is Veronica Agard. I'm also known as Ifa Shadun Fasanmi in my lineage. Um, I'm calling from my childhood bedroom in Rockland County, but I am based in Brooklyn, New York. All of that is Lenape territory, um, specifically um, Lene Lenape, and I am really excited to be having this conversation. Um, my 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 fellow Southern grandmother may appear; she may crash the party um, at some point. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're super thankful to have you. Um, I guess we'll get into a check in. How are you, um, Leah? You know, I'm making it. I am uh, doing pretty good. No complaints. I'm going to say that. (laughs) I can't think of anything else. (laughs) What about you, Veronica? (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy to be home um, because my, excuse me, both sides of my family are mainly um, to varying degrees immunocompromised. So it's made visiting trickier than it was to be an only child of parents who divorced late so you add that on top of all the things in the world it's um it really reminds me to be even more mindful than I already have to be because I have roommates um so when I know that I'm going to see my mom or I'm going to see my dad I have to be super mindful about where I go um and who I'm around but lately it's been that that's been the baseline, but then there's another layer of that that as of late has been very much rooted in spiritual hygiene and energetics and where I go. Like um, folks can't see this right now, but my head is wrapped in a very light color. Like I'm very much like something's in the water. I don't know what it is, but until I figure that out, I'm just being whites and brights, but I'm doing well. What about you, Danny? I am making it too. I'm glad the sun is out. I am going to challenge myself to get some more fresh air because I feel like I'm always in the house because I work from home and I also have like social anxiety. (laughs) And when I go long periods without going outside, like then I talk myself out of it. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to end up going to a coffee shop and then it's suddenly crowded and all of that, but I'm going to try to challenge myself to like go and I'll sit outside. I usually prefer to sit outside anyway. So yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Well, let's get into some gratitude. Um, Veronica, what are you thankful for today? I am grateful to be able to wake up and have affirming conversations with my grandmother. I feel like, especially because I talk a lot about talking to our elders and having conversations with them while they're still here. Anytime I can, as often as I'm holding space or talking with people, it's nice to sit at the feet of my grandmother while she's still here. And, you know, very much I told her, I was like, Oh, I'm recording a podcast today. She's like, you know, Veronica, that ancestors and training, I really, I'm glad that you're doing that like very warm and fuzzy conversation over a very strong cup of Folgers coffee that she is known for. And I'm grateful for her. Um, I'm also grateful for her in the sense of some of the things that she has done for us to be even to have this conversation. So if it comes up organically, I will, but I feel like I've written about that in the past. Um, But yeah, I'm super grateful for her today. 
What about you, Leah? So last week I reread Legendborn by Tracy Dion. It is probably one of my favorite books and rereading it was just such a rewarding and fulfilling experience. So I am grateful for that book. Um, I'm grateful for Tracy Dion. I'm excited for book three whenever it comes out one day in the future. (laughs) So that's what I'm grateful for. What about you, Danny? Um, you know what? I'm really thankful for the way my community showed up for me. Um, I recently got accepted into a residency in Senegal that I'll go to at the top of next year. And I almost talked myself out of it. And then I made this GoFundMe and I was able to raise the deposit I needed. Um, and I, I, I do have confidence now that I will raise enough to pay for it everything. So I'm just thankful for everybody that shared, everybody that gave. So it looks like I'm definitely going to go and I'm excited about that. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we can get started. So Veronica, Danny and I attended your Writing with the Ancestors workshop hosted by Black Joy Reckon back in January. And so that's how we became familiar with your work. And we wanted to talk to you about this idea of ancestors in training. And so you quoted, I hope I'm saying her name right, Yeye Louisa Tish, who wrote Jambalaya. Um, But she also said, we are the ancestors of the future and what we do now will have an impact. So can you talk more about how this inspired you to start ancestors in training and just your overall journey from then to now? that quote is that quote I was like if a quote could be like that girl like that is that girl I have been doing wellness or healing type works since 2012 because I needed to find my own medicine after my late grandmother and my late uncle passed away back to back um within like 66 days something wild right um i started to read and get into and learn more about astrology and crystals like the the entry point if you will for like the woo woo world um for lack of a better term and that's very much a new yorker ism but i started in that space but mainly was able to find additional healing mechanisms and tools through some of the wellness work that I was doing at the time, which was centering women and femmes. It was called Sister Circle Collective. We used to just gather and be in circle and hold space for each other. But then as the space holders, we were able to um, gain some valuable lessons on the needs of us taking care of ourselves while we were taking care of others, right? So once that collective came to a close in 2017, we all had our own thing by that point but I hadn't explicitly called out what my thing was. I already knew what it was. It was mainly writing and healing through writing and always being the writer, always being the poet, but I had never called it out loud in terms of this is how I wanna show up for other people as an individual. So I was studying basically. I was reading more books and at that point I had, and I talk about this often, I had had experiences with Capoeira And that was my entry point to the Orishas and to the pantheon of the traditions. Um, The relationship that Capoeira has is with Candomblé. Candomblé is the one of the Brazilian expressions of the root of what other folks practice, which is Ifa, Yoruba, Isheshe, right? So basically they're all cousins, even hoodoo, all cousins, big bunch of cousins. So I, in that same key, was like, okay, I need to read other books. And that's how I found Jambalaya and found the same Orisha names, found the same prescriptions. She she gives so much in that book for free, well, relatively free because you got to pay for the book, but she's very generous. That's what I'm trying to say. And so I found that and it was more so of all of, it was almost like a set of dominoes kind of clicked of like, okay, people always say that I need to write that's come up in in the years since that's come up in divination several times from my Baba. Like, okay, yeah, you, you, you've been needed to write. You've got books for days. Like you need to need to write. 
but then the way that I have gotten out of my own way, so to speak, is to hold space around how to alchemize some of the things that I wish that I had asked my late grandmother or had the language for, right? But also not beating myself up for it because I was 21. I was still learning. I was still growing, especially in terms of knowledges around um, traumas and being trauma-informed. Like, I didn't know what I didn't know. But now that I do know what I know and how can I encourage people to tend to their legacies while they're still of sound mind and body, right? Because um, my grandmother passed away due to Alzheimer's and dementia. So the questions that I wanted to ask her, I couldn't because depending on where she was when she time traveled, right? I didn't know what reply I was going to get. But now whenever people circle, and especially the writing with the ancestors one, literally, like the questions that I offered and the shared um, that comes from a space of alchemizing some of that grief of like, I really wish that I could have asked her and some of the other ancestors that I've gained since. But healing through writing means that we can spell some things out. We can speak some things into existence. And I did a research and did a look across the digital land to be like, okay, is anybody speaking about how to live with the future in mind the way that I have in my mind, right? Like, is there anybody out there doing what I aspire to do? And there wasn't. Um, but I also believe in citation is important, which is why I always talk about um, Yaya Louisatish, because if I hadn't have found that when I did, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about this, or I wouldn't have been able to show up and support folks like y'all, really, or like even be connected to Black Joy um, by Brecken. And I think the the beauty of that is I was able to collaborate with some of my friends and just hit up my friend Shia Share, who also gets cited whenever people ask me this question. Um, they had a conference called Diaspora Radicalics and a bunch of us got together and we're like, this is how we're showing up in the world as radical diasporic folks. And that was the debut of Ancestors in Training. So that was December 10th, 2017. And it was like 30 minutes of me doing exactly this. Like, so this is what I've been thinking and this is what it looks like to me. And you know, weaving some of these traditions around spelling is a spell and speaking things into power. How can we speak things into power now about what kind of answers we want to be in the future? So I've been holding workshops ever since. I love that you brought up writing being your spiritual work, because that is something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is our own spiritual. I think that was the first episode we did of this season, writing is conjure work. Um, but anyway, on your website, you wrote, I believe that the responsibility of a generation who lived to see epigenetics and science confirm that intergenerational trauma can rewrite our DNA is to rewrite the future of our descendants. And so I've heard you talk about the work that we do today will impact the next seven generations. And so engaging in these indigenous spiritual practices is really, you know, walking by faith and not by sight. And so I'm just interested. This was a question you posed. So I'm going to pose it to everyone here. Like when our descendants look back on this moment, how do we all want to be remembered? I appreciate that quote back because sometimes, especially in spirit led antics, I'd be forgetting what I write until I hear it back. So I appreciate that very much. It's like, damn. Yeah, that was profound, really. Um, but I I want my descendants to remember that I wrote not only for my life, wrote for my life as in wrote the things down, spelled the spells, like called the things in, but also that I wrote to make sure that I felt seen and that I wrote myself in. I also want my descendants to remember that joy is their birthright. Um, that's something that a friend of mine, um, Chiquita Brujita, speaks about a lot does in a lot of her own works um especially within you know being third generation santeria you know initiated like there's certain things that she has within her lineage and also just ways that she shows up in the world to make sure that she's holding space for other people's joy right and obviously that's part of the reason why we're friends right because we're a similar mindset but i also want my descendants to 
realize how much power they have in the words that they choose. I aspire for them to, and I related to something that you said, Danny, around like you almost talked yourself out of it. Um, like I aspire for them to not talk themselves out of things because I almost talk myself out of things all the time. Um, the common terminology for that now is imposter syndrome. And I think that especially in terms of epigenetics, that kind of like that hesitation of like, <clears throat> like mm, maybe, maybe not. Like it's not something that I want my descendants to carry forward right because i think that sometimes it's a trauma response to think that we're not going to get it or to not aspire for it because you know whatever it's going to collapse or that relationship isn't going to work out or maybe that person isn't into you the way that you want them to be into you like i don't wish that kind of shoulda coulda woulda on my descendants i want them to be discerning i want them to be steadfast i want them to trust in themselves and if they don't I want them to know who to go to. I want them to have mentors. I want them, if they need to call me and phone a friend, to like do whatever needs to be done. But I really want them to know the joy is their birthright. They should not should themselves out of their their destinies and their birthrights and that they have the power of the pen. I love that. Um, I've said this before, I think, in different ways. I don't know why this thinking about this gets me all like that warm feeling like you want to cry but like when they think of me I want I want the words freedom pleasure joy to like be in that sentence what about you Leah (laughs) I was thinking about the Beyonce song I was here (laughs) I was here I lived I laughed I loved um and I just want my descendants to know that like any struggle, any sacrifice I do is because I don't want them to. I want them to live a life of ease, of peace, of love, of laughter, of joy. I want them to know that life is magical. They are divine. Anything that they want to do, they can do. This time we have on the earth is a gift. Like I just don't want them to think that they are a mistake, that they are not meant to be here that they are not worthy of the life that they have you know love it so one thing I like about I hate to call things a brand so I'll say practice of ancestors and training I think you you challenge people to think about death in a new way and so when it comes to death many of us are socialized to see it as like this bad thing as this ending once you're Once the person you love is gone, they're gone. And I can imagine someone being asked to like, for us, me and Leah, I love, I love to think about like what I'm leaving behind for my descendants. Other people, it might be uncomfortable if they haven't unpacked that maybe not healthy relationship to death. And I'm interested to know if, if that was your experience and if so, how you were able to evolve from that place and to like think about these things in like a nuanced way. And if that wasn't your experience, what advice do you have for people that are struggling with that? I know that was so wordy, but. <laughs> when I hear that, I think of, there's a song by Ibei. Um, they are Afro, French, Cuban twins, and they are um, practitioners as well. They have a song called Deathless and the, the, the chorus basically says, Whatever happens, whatever happens, we are deathless. And the theme of the song, at least how it lands on me, is that, you know, even if our physical body is gone, like, we're not gone, right? Um, Part of the conversation I was having with my grandmother earlier this morning, and for the record, she is um, a daughter of the Southern diaspora um, and the Northern migration in the 1960s um, to the Northeast, um, specifically fleeing Jim Crow, Alabama, and to make sure that my aunts and my mom were able to live the life that she knew was a part of the birthright. What she was saying, even though for her generation, because she'll be 87? Yeah, she'll be 87 this year. What she was saying is that as a kid in Anderson, Alabama in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, to have conversations like these or to have conversations about 
you know, reincarnation or about spirit, you know, um, energy never dies, right? Like these kind of things, you know, was not a thing for her generation. Or if it was, she just wasn't in the right place at the right time. So I feel really affirmed to be able to talk to her about those things and to affirm that, you know, little her that saw ghosts like is valid, right? Um, yeah, she casually dropped that one day and I was just like, wait, hold on. So me that has been, you know, into the spiritual thing or has been doing this kind of work, like I wasn't alone, but it wasn't, it was not that I was alone. It was that I didn't have the language yet to be able to hold space for her to say, oh yeah, so this reminds me of this when I was a kid and that, that, and I was like, oh, 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 okay. So it's not just me per se in air quotes, but I find that at this stage of ancestors and training of held space for elders like my grandmother, I've been able to talk to youth as young as 10 about it. I've taught it as a course to as a course to young people, um, high school age young folks, several times. And I find that those generations, so that the youth and the elders, I don't really find as much interference or like hesitancy or like pauses or almost like a bodily reaction where they constrict when I talk about what it means to be an ancestor, right? Because it's really inviting people to understand that we're not going to be here forever, right? Which depending on your age, when you hear that, it's like, what do you mean? Like, uh, I still, or like, especially in modes of capitalism and the stage of capitalism that we're in, some people can hear that and be like, wait, I still have all these things that I need to do. I haven't accomplished this, that, and this. I don't, and it just turns into this really like constricting kind of bodily reaction. And it actually is like, mm, no, like for whatever reasons, whatever your lineage is, like there's so many things that have happened before us that can elicit that response. What I'm inviting you to do is to find out your why, to find out where in your lineage that cycle started. And is there anything that you can do to break that now? So that way, as we've been talking about those that come after us, whether they are chosen, right? Like nibblings, nieces, nephews, all of that, or like our biological children, if we choose to have children, or if we choose not to people in community that we help raise, they will remember that we broke that cycle. And I think that for the most part, I've had a lot of success like in general, but I feel like the illumination of the other ends of the life spectrum, right? The beginning of the life spectrum and the end of the life spectrum, having, you know, no, no kind of pause or no hesitancy to talk about it. I'm like, okay, word, like it's, it's topical. It's a conversation that needs to be had, but it also takes me breaking it down, right? Because sometimes people hear ancestral veneration and they're like, what does that even mean? Like, do I have to get an altar now? Like, what is this? Do I have to, like, depending on the lineage, do I have to be in white for a whole year? Like, what does that even mean? And it's actually like, no, like we all have ancestors. We all need community. We all need to find ways to be good humans while we're here. And once I say it like that, people kind of soften a little bit, but it's taken me learning how to invite people in in different ways that are more accessible. And when I say accessible here, I really mean like, not just in the woo woo esoteric, but like on the, the real, like, yo, so you know how we say like, oh, I felt that person's spirit or that person's energy or here in New York, the vibe was off. So I left that might've been your answer to being like, mm -mm, go home, go home. Like you, you don't need to be here. There, there, that happened to me recently. And right after I left some wild stuff happened. So I'm grateful for my team, but also what I try to invite people to do is really to find their own way to arrive to this work, because I can only say what has worked for me, which y'all that have circled with me, you know, I'm usually like, this works for me. If it doesn't work for you, like take it, leave it, edit, be like, yo sis, like that could have gone better. Or like, that was great. Do it again. Whatever kind of feedback you want to give me, but also just understanding that the challenges there or the hesitancies there to talk about death, I want to say, unfortunately, changed because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, a lot of us had to sit at home with a lot of different things. If we had been tending to the work, if we had been doing the shadow work, as the kids are calling it, it might not have been as much of a, a reach. 
But if we had never done that before, we had never sat with ourselves before, then that was scary in and of itself. So for those people, by the time I arrived to them, by the time the Instagram algorithm is like, hey, you might like this account, they've already had that kind of experience with themselves, hopefully, for them to be like, okay, worth. Like, I have all this grief about the ways of the world and the people that I've lost. And there's this project that is holding a container just for that. Right. And that's an entry point to the philosophy because it's a mindset. I'm inviting people to understand in my combination of words that I offer out that we're not going to be here forever. So what are you going to do? Are you going to wait until you're on your deathbed, which we aspire and wish for everybody for that to be a long time from now? Or are you going to utilize the time that you have, utilize the technologies that we have going back to what I said about um, the different technologies that we have access to, right? Like we live in a time where science confirmed that smoke cleansing a room actually gets rid of the toxins in the air. We can, you know, try and figure out our relationship with death a little bit. We can try and understand that things are, um, things in this world can be yes and. Like, yes, death is scary. Yes, I don't wish that on anybody. Yes, I don't want that to happen for a long time. But also that's going to happen. So how can I live in a way that is with the future in mind and not in a selfish way either? in a way that's just like, this is what needs to be done. So we just had an episode on about Black excellence and just like the negative ways that constant chasing of being excellent and perfect has impacted us. And as a kid, I just wasn't thinking about that. I didn't start thinking about it until adults started putting that pressure on me of what you become, the work that you do is somehow puts value on who you are as a person. And I think that's part of that, what you said about capitalism, where people are just thinking, I got so much stuff to do, but it's like, you you could be doing some beautiful things in the moment and you're still just constantly chasing, chasing something, you know? And that, that wastes a lot more time than you thinking in terms of like this scarcity about death and I can't die because I got all this other stuff left to do instead of what you're doing now. I, I want to say I do agree and thinking about you saying not just kids but also older people I've been thinking a lot about like how kids have this innate sort of knowing. I know me and Danny has talked about like being young and just knowing things that we didn't know how we knew them but we knew them. And then it's the same thing with older people. And I think after living a life of experiencing so much death, they have to become intimate with it. And then they're knowing like, I'm getting older, <laughs> I'm going to die. And so I think that that is why they are a bit more accepting of death compared to the rest of us. And so recently I was reminded of this thing that Toni Morrison talked about, how education was about discrediting this innate sense of knowing. And so in order for her to write, she had to get back in touch with this, this inner knowing that she had, this intuition, this ancestral knowing. And also what you said about like science just now catching up to things that our ancestors have always known, even if it did not have like fancy terminology for it. I resonate with that a lot, especially um, just in terms of what you offered about elders having a different relationship with death because they see it, right? Um, thinking about my grandmother who's still living, she's one of six, she's the last one that's still alive. She's not the youngest either, right? So she's had a different kind of relationship with that for a long time. And then also just just understanding and just having conversations, like it, not just my grandmother, but my mom. My mom says this to me often, she's like, you know, when, when it's my time, like, we're going to have this conversation now before, you know, God forbid I lose my faculties or, you know, I, it's going to be written down somewhere, but I want to tell you to your face so that we, when this time comes, you can remember that I said, I don't want a funeral that's somber. I want it to be a celebration of my life. And my mom has done all the steps to, you know, turn herself into a food for a tree. So she's like, when you miss me, just go sit at the tree. That's the whole point of me doing that, which is sweet because, you know, that's that's my mother, the, the Pisces, the, my favorite fish. But um, also just having those kind of conversations around 
those kind of rituals of grief can make it so that way it's a little bit easier when that time comes. It doesn't mean that it will be easy, right? Like I pray that that's going to be a very long time from now, but I at least know like, okay, my mom said this, this, and this, or even going back to the science really quick. Um, that's also kind of like the science behind in certain traditions, especially like you, you got to avoid dark colors, right? Because dark colors absorb energy and science. I remember a science class literally where they were talking about the prism and the different colors and all the things and how black absorbs heat. That's why when you wear black clothing in the summertime, you get hot really quick. And, you know, for me, like now in my tradition in Ifa, I'm like, there's certain colors I have to avoid for the rest of my life. And also there's certain colors, especially that I can't put on my head, right? Because my head is my, my connection to my higher self and is a version of my higher self. So anytime I'm overwhelmed, I'll just do a slick back, put my curls down and just go like, and, and my friends now know that if they see me in almost all white or shades of white, that either A, something is afoot, B, they should leave me be, or C, that they should check in on me because I felt something, right? And as opposed to being like, ah, ah, like I'm not going to go outside, which which I can get and that's easy to do in the pandemic of just like, I'll just be inside playing The Sims, like, and then clocking into work after the break. Like um, The Sims ended up being my anti-anxiety tool for the pandemic. I brought it back on my computer um, and I make all the little happy Sims and they live wonderful little legacies. Of course, obviously, because it's me. <laughs> I'm talking about ancestors and training. Of course, my Sims are happy. But I um, I really do appreciate being alive in this time of like both remembering what it was like before the internet was free, mainly, and like having to pay for dial-up. And you still have to pay. But I was like, as a child that remembers dial-up, like also realizing what a time to be alive where we can connect with people across time zones, like what we're doing, or across um, different continents and in the future. Right, because sometimes folks come to my stuff and they'll be in Australia, and I'm like, like, huh? Like you're you're in tomorrow. Like, not that you can't be here, but you're in tomorrow. Like, are you sure? Like, like it's mad early or it's super late. Like, I don't know what's happening, but um, yeah, I just wanted to say that it's really both and. Like, it's nice to be alive in these kind of times where one, we're having more conversations with our elders, but also two, that science is catching up to what spirit and what um, varying traditions said before they got the cosine or the validation um, from other external forces. Um, well, I guess we'll go ahead and take a break and we'll be right back. Thank y'all for tuning in to our show. If you want to support us, you can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. You can check out our Patreon where we share exclusive video plant and spiritual content for only $3 a month. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can donate via Cash App, Cash Tag, Hoodoo Plant Mamas, or our PayPal, HoodooPlantMamas at gmail.com. Let's get back to the show. So going back to the workshop, I took a few notes because um, there was so so many gems that people dropped, especially Danny. <laughs> I was in the chat like, okay. Had me give my dad like, okay, come on in the room then, Danny. <laughs> and so something, I forgot who said this, but it was related to um, Coco, the Disney movie. And it was like, you die twice when you leave this world. And when people forget about you, this was something that I wrote during the workshop was like, we have to do whatever we can to make sure we're not forgotten. And I was thinking about the cruelty of not being able to read and write, because when we can't tell our own stories, we can't control our own narrative and we're essentially erased from history. And then our stories are being told by us, by people who don't care about us, by people who are violent towards us. And so that is a lot of our current reality. That's what we're seeing with the book bans right now and how people are trying to strip books out of the hands of children. In Texas, they're trying to shut down libraries because they're like, (laughs) it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. And so every day we kind of deal with this violence. And I've been wondering um, 
what can we do? And so a question that you posed at that time was how can we walk with integrity in the face of an uncertain future? So I'm laughing. That's another one of my quotebacks. I'm like, I said that. Um, so how can we walk with integrity in the face of an uncertain future, especially for descendants of enslaved Africans, as you said, that we did not know how to read or write, but we were still able to carry forth stories. Still able to carry our traditions, even when we were brought over here without our consent, right? Like, varying forms of varying traditions but also like how to i'm specifically thinking of granny midwives right in the south and how they do what herbs to go get and ask them to do a proper measurement or to break down the the root of whatever herbs they got might not be able to do that but can they tell you that they knew that it was this herb because it grew next to this tree or grew on this side of the water, they can, right? So it's about different kinds of knowledges that I think are really valuable, especially in um, indigenous teachings across the world, um, not just indigenous to the Americas, but indigenous everywhere, right? There's an element of storytelling and that being important and that people have to, in order for the story to be told and in order for somebody to not be forgotten, that means that people have to actively listen and I think that that's super important, especially in a world of book bans and defunding libraries, which is what um, current current mayor of New York City is trying to do, right? And defunding all the things that have to do with people, um, what I would argue, liberating themselves. My mom said that to me as a kid growing up all the time. Like anytime I would come home and, you know, class would say one thing or teacher would say one thing, I'd come home and be, like confirm or deny basically. And my mom and my grandma would be like, yes, but also like go get thee to this bookshelf, like go over here. And that's a privilege in and of itself. So I think for me, I'm really, and this started in my undergrad career, like very much into archival memory and both and like doing the traditional academic things of learning how to, you know, tell a compelling story, how to write, you know, in that voice if you need to but also getting the consent to record, you know, my grandmother from time to time, like when she gets in that storytelling mode, you know, and wants to drop gems like Danny did, I'll be like, wait, hold, I'll literally go, wait, 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 stop. And like, just go get my phone or just record. Um, I think that that's one way to do it. And then to make sure that we have, wherever we keep those archival memories, that that is safe. Um, like I know after a certain point, I take a lot of the, the things that I produced or the things that I have and I put them on my external hard drive and I do that from time to time just to make sure that I have a back backup just just in case you know but that's because I have the tools and I know how to do that not everybody knows how not everybody is in a space um where they feel safe enough to do that so my other you know how can we walk with integrity is to find people to walk alongside with that people you know people that remind you that you're not alone in this, right? Which can be hard, right? Because um, even I'm saying this living in one of the most populated places in the world, like being in New York City, like you can still feel alone in New York City, like absolutely can. And there's nothing like being in a room full of people and feeling alone. That is the, one of the wildest feelings you can ever experience. But the beauty of the internet is that you can, you know, kind of curate a community and not curate in a way that excludes people, because I think that that does happen, but you can curate in a way that invites people into, you know, into a level of being or a way of understanding, which is what I view the ancestors and Jenny Instagram as. But given the ways in which, you know, the metaverse and the world and all the things, I'm like, yeah, that should not be the only space that that community lives. So how can I create other pockets for other ways and other lanes? Like, can I tend to the newsletter? Can I do more in real life things that are as safe as possible? Can they be outside, like having different conversations? So that way I can invite other people to walk alongside, right? Because we're not alone in doing any of this work, right? Like we started this conversation talking about some of my inspirations. And then even on a basic quote, quote, ancestral level, like we're never alone, really, if you think about it. So that kind of both and there, like we're never really alone, but also it might be lonely because if you have friends that aren't necessarily into the same traditions, they don't practice the same way, 
not even on a political way, just they just don't believe in it or they just haven't arrived to that level of understanding. Consent says, okay, cool. Like, I can't force your hand. I can't make you believe in the same things that I do. I just hope that however you want to live is the way that you want to live and that it's in service to your highest good. But I think that for me, a part of that answer to that question is archival memory and documenting things, um, writing them down, um, getting consent from elders and other family members. Um, and then as we talk about youth, maybe even youth, right, which is its own other separate process to get permission from their parents and guardians and families. Um, but then also finding other people to walk alongside this this mystery, right? Because we, a part of the answer in that is trusting in the unknown or actually invoking and believing in what Octavia Butler invited us to think about when we say God has changed, right? Like sometimes, you know, at least in the circles that I run in, like I see that quote all the time, see it all the time. And I even cite Octavia as a, you know, collective ancestor of ancestors in training as a project, right? Because she inspired me and I like to give people their flowers, even if they're not physically with us anymore. But even within that, there's still this fear of change, right? Even in this space that we're in since the advent of COVID-19, I'm like, yeah, people are still afraid of change, right? Because even though the world as we knew it stopped and there's no way that we can go back, there's only forward. Right. And then I, a person who has certain energies that guard her, that are the guardians of change. Right. I'm like, wait, like, woohoo. Like, we're just gonna, even if we don't know, we don't know what we know. And I'm just like, whoop, we'll figure it out. Whimsical. Other people not knowing, not having, you know, a sense of like, okay, where's this, you know, roller coaster gonna end? Panic at the disco if they can't discern where it's gonna lead to. They say to, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan or tell him that you have a plan. I'm like, once I heard that, I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I'm not trying to make God laugh about that. And he can laugh at me about something else, <laughs> like, but, but not that. Like, um, how can we, how can we invite people to that level? And it's always, and I always say invite specifically because it's an invitation that not everybody's going to pick up and that's okay. Man. I was about to say something and then you said that about God laughing when you make plans because, and then when you get to that point and you hear younger people who are like early twenties, mid twenties, start talking about those plans. And I be want to tell them like, you ain't got, even got to your Saturn return yet. And I'm telling you, it's going to flip you upside down and stump you out. Like, And in some ways, you know, you'll be thankful for it. Um, not in the moment, though. So in the interview you did with Star for Black Joy, um, there was a quote um, that you said, with the age of the Internet, we're seeing a lot of things that, in my opinion, we're not meant to see unless we were there at the event. I think there are some things that should stay off the internet, especially ceremonies and people's altars. If somebody really knows how to try and cause me harm, I gave them the information to do that. I think that's such a good point and something me and Leah have discussed several times. It's like there's this really thin line. And I think a lot of spiritualists, especially ones with like public public facing platforms, are really trying to... Um, they're trying to be ethical and like wanting to educate the community because not everybody has access to these things. Or, you know, I've seen people say, you know, y'all are always talking about talk to elders, but I, they're all dead. I don't know my elders or I was adopted. But there's also like this having boundaries and gatekeeping because a lot of, you know, African traditional practices and, and spiritual traditions, they've been like co-opted. So many so many books on hoodoo are not written by black people and I can't for the life of me make sense of it, how it got in their hands and why they felt like they had the authority to write a book about it. So in thinking about like black folks kind of trying to return to these um, traditions and center um, ancestral reverence and healing, I know in your interview with star, you also mentioned pulling from different African diaspora um religion so how did you figure out 
what works for you and is most aligned with your needs, um, with the needs of your ancestral lineage. And I want to give context to that in that there is some controversy about mixing these traditions, even though a lot of people do. And like you said, that they're cousins. Um, and I think sometimes that rigidness of the feeling like you have to stick with one thing, which is something I have struggled with, is it can it may not be what your ancestral lineage is calling you to do. So, yeah. So how did you figure that out for yourself? Yeah. So I can clarify what I mean by that in, in a couple of ways. So when I say that this project draws from a lot of different lineages and teachings, what I'm saying is on the ancestors and training syllabus, there are people who practice Ifa, there's people who are Hudu practitioners, there's people that practice Santeria, there's people who've been initiated in a whole bunch of things and they've written a lot of books, right? That's what I mean by draw from, because I'm like, here are a bunch of people that I think are speaking to this concept that I also think that you should know, right? With myself, my personal journey and my own lineage and my own tradition, I am an Aberisha within the Ifa tradition. And my lineage specifically, at least in my, me, Veronica, my lineage is Caribbean and Southern, right? So it was very important for me to make sure that whatever my ancestral tradition, especially in this noise that can happen on the internet, is in alignment with my actual ancestry, right? And one of the things that I say, especially in terms of like that quote, because I've seen that too around... Um, I don't have any elders. I don't have anybody to go to. I was fortunate where some of the projects and some of the works that I was doing at the time in 2018, um, largely who heals the healer, um, mutual friends in common with my now godfather suggested that my now godfather attend some of my works. So I was, they, my ancestors were very like, okay, you're on your path. You're on your path. Okay, here's somebody that can help you go further, right? Um, and he's also Guyanese, he's also a Sagittarius. So I was like, gang, gang, like we should be friends. Like, this is great. I got my first reading from him in 2018, which is five years ago somehow. And it came out back then like, hey, you know, you should probably, you should probably consider again consent. Because especially, especially in this age of scammers and, you know, digital babble owls, I want to say for the record, the the right teacher will come when the student is ready, but also the right teacher will invite you to study with them. They will not try to coerce you. They will not try to harm you in the name of you being initiated into any tradition, right? And if they try to gaslight you, they try to make you feel that way, or they give you some kind of unwarranted or unwanted attention, that's not your space. That is not where you're supposed to be. That does not mean that you have to find a new one right away, but just know that if it's like, it's giving you an ick, get out of there in any way that you can. I did not have an ick at all. Like I've been saying, like I Kaiki was kicking with my now godfather when I first met him. And I, because I have a lot of respect for the varying traditions and understand the differences between Santeria Lucchini, where in order to be initiated to a certain degree, you have to wear white for a year. And it comes with a whole bunch of prescriptions of things that you can and cannot do. Some of which I have ideas of, some of which I don't know because that's not my lineage, right? The same way that somebody on that side of the tradition won't know some of the things that I had to do to be an Aberisha. There might be some things that are common, right? But that's what I meant by cousins. Right, there are some things that are very much similar, but even our E-days, even our bracelets, right, depending on the lineage, they'll, they'll be green in there, but the other color might be yellow. Mine are, mine are green and brown. For people that are in the know, they know that there's a difference between a green and yellow one and a green and brown one, but they stem from the same place, right? But in my, my whimsical, and you know, sometimes I get in my own way self, I, even though I knew that the invitation to deepen my practice via going from outside the house, outside the Ile, like physically outside the door, spiritually, to being inside the house, which is where I am now, I took my time. 
I took my time. I took my time. I read more. I traveled a bit. I went to St. Kitts. I hung out with some of my family. I went to Jamaica. I fell in and out of love. Did a whole bunch of, like, I had, I had a time, okay? And then was still developing, still communicating, still being in relationship with my now Elay when they had community events and still getting yearly readings from my now godfather. And every time I would get the reading at the top of the year, be like, you know, we're, we're waiting for you. Like, come on over when you're ready, but come on over. <laughs> Which he reminded me of when I finally um, created, um, completed the rites of passage that I did, right? But I think that that type of dynamic, that type of relationship, you will find the right mentor from this practice when not only when you're ready, but I also think when it's needed in your life, because for me, it gives me a sense of grounding in a literal way of like, okay, Veronica, you got to make sure that you take care of yourself. Like you keep talking about ancestors and training, you keep talking about your elders, but you have relatives that you haven't met yet. Like go on down to St. Kitts, go spend time with them, build some of those bonds, make those connections, right? Become some of the family archivists and then come back and write about it and see what that looks like. But that's, that's me. Again, my nature is to be like, okay, I'll figure it out. Like, whew, not everybody can do that. Um, and not everybody can have humor while they do that. That's just, that's, I, I don't know. Ask, I might call my mom in here and be like, you know, why am I like this? I really don't know. But I do know that I talk about discernment a lot in this age of digital everything. And like going back to what we said about, you know, certain things shouldn't be on the internet. I don't know. There's some things that should be in the room for the people that were in the room only. And that also comes from what I believe as a facilitator and a circle keeper and a space holder. I'm like, there's certain things that somebody said in that room, in that Zoom room, or even in real life that I don't need to put on the ancestors and training account. But the people that were physically there in that room, they needed to hear it. And hopefully they took it with them, they keep it with them, they keep it somewhere close, so they write notes, right? Or even like what happened with writing with the ancestors, like. That stayed in the room. There were some gems. People got some things after the fact, but majority of that was in the room, right? And I really do believe in a, there's a magic of what happens in that room because there will never be that exact combination of people in that room again, right? So I try to tend to that magic the best that I can and say like, hey, like this is why sometimes I record things and then sometimes spirit is like, ah, nope, not this one, the next one. But I also, I just can't emphasize that enough that I really took my time to make sure that the expression of what I believe matched not only what I was able to and willing to commit to, but also felt right um, in my spirit. Because, you know, there's just so much that happens in the internet and like, gatekeeping and then sometimes reverse gatekeeping and then sometimes people get lost in their genuine curiosities and wanting to have elders or wanting to have mentorship and then that's how they get got by these scammers and that's that's the worst part of it for me i'm like for all of that people really just wanted to be seen people really just wanted to be listened to to attended to and to hear messages from their ancestors or hear messages from their spirit guides or whatever type of messages that they wanted to hear. They just wanted to be heard. And it really makes me sad that there's people that take advantage of that. I'm so glad that you emphasize the like, not only taking your time, but reading, studying. I think the internet and, and what it, you know, I grew up in church and I grew up talking about superstitions and hearing my aunt say certain things. So I, I grew up with a basic understanding of things, but the internet and having access to podcasts and these kind of things did open up a door for me. But when I, and I'm still on my journey, when I really started like getting into it, I realized that like it wasn't enough and there was some work that I had to do that wasn't going to involve the internet. And I think it's scary. And I have been someone that has like, where's my elder? Like, where is someone? Like, I feel like I need someone to help me with this. But like you said, there have been people that have came, but I felt like they were pressuring me in a way that was like uncomfortable to like immediately initiate. And I was like, 
Lord, can you slow down? I'm I'm still trying to figure out my altar stuff, you know? And so, yeah, I, I think it can be a struggle. So I'm really glad you said that because it honestly takes years. Like it takes years to get to like a certain level in your spiritual journey. Um, I don't know anybody that it happened to overnight. Um, and even when you get into the practice, if you get initiated, there's always, there's always something like there's always something that you're, you're doing or, or, or some hump that you have to get over that you didn't know at the time. So, yeah, you're always a student. Yeah. Like, even my godfather says that all the time. He just did a podcast interview where he said just that, like, as long as he's been practicing, he still has a mentor. Like he has his aluo, like he has, you know, a bunch of godchildren like me They're you know, you know, we are who we are and we're wonderful. But there's still, there's a responsibility there. And especially, and I feel this as a former youth worker, as someone who both can mentor, but also needs to be mentored as in like, I need somebody to guide me. And I can also be like, yo, don't, don't step that way. Or like, you could step that way. You could do this, but also there might be consequences. Are you sure you want to do that? Um, But I really just wanted to emphasize that like, no matter what title you get, all the names you get, or how many reaches you may have, and how many responsibilities, right, that come with those kind of honors, right? And that's a differential too. Sometimes people, it doesn't matter what lineage, I'm just talking people broadly, take spirituality out of it. Sometimes people almost do like gotta catch them all Pokemon type stuff with titles and lineages and PhDs and programs and they get all these letters and all these things and all these titles, but they still haven't done the inner work. They haven't taken care of the Iwapele. They haven't figured out how to move kindly through the world or sweetly through the world or any combination of the two. And then, you know, they do all those things in the name of whatever they thought they were going to get from it, as opposed to how to be in reciprocity with it, how to be in right relationship with it. And, you know, that's why I wanted to just be like flag on the play. Like, you know, like we really do have to continue to study. Like, and I continue to study. That's why I say to people sometimes, I'm like, that's just an apparition is a Yoruba way to say, like, I'm a spiritual baby within my elite. Like, I'm very new. You know, that's why, depending on the lineage, you're supposed to cut all your hair off when you initiate again because you're brand new. Start over. Well, this is my um, last question. Going back to that article that you did with Black Joy, you said, what happens in any space that we offer, we are especially zooming in on what it means to be an ancestor in training that's trying to create new traditions. We're not just talking about the trauma and the harm that's been caused, but thinking a step ahead and thinking about the joy and the possibilities that can come from when we shift our thinking a little bit. We're not just talking about what cycles to break, but what cycles to start. And in that same article, you talked about how being a plant mom reminded you to drink enough water and we're both plant moms here. (laughs) Um, So I'm wondering what are some other ways we can break cycles and pass on joy and possibility to our descendants? I feel like I've already said to talk to your family or to invite folks into these different types of knowledges. And it's not to say that you need to, you know, quote, quote, indoctrinate people into what you believe. It's just kind of invite them to walk alongside you and see what happens. Um, in my case, that means like telling my parents and my grandmother, and my aunts, like, okay, like here is this podcast that happened with ancestors and training, or I'm going to go do this talk over here. Sometimes it comes, like sometimes in the near future, if you catch me on a Zoom thing, my grandmother and my mom and my aunts may make a cameo, uh, which is always fun. But I also think in terms of cycles, um, to break, it really starts with us. Like I, like if anything that we offer, anything that we share to other people, like sometimes it's nothing like talking with somebody or listening to a friend and you give them advice and you're really speaking to yourself too. Like I'm, I, as that friend that happens to me often, I'm like, ah, shit, like I need to do that too. You're right. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like ancestors, I see what you did here. And not being afraid when those moments come. One of the things with this advent of the internet and all the things is that sometimes we think it has to be this elaborate knockdown, like 
have to wear all these things and you have to do this and you have to spend all this money because capitalism and it's really it does not have to be that deep i'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum if that is your jam go for it if you have the means to do all that amazing but if you don't just remember that it can be as simple um going back to my godfather it can be as simple as like uh, before your feet touch the ground i'm also saying this at myself because i have been better about hydrating but i have not done as good a job as i do with what i'm about to say which is to pray over water before you drink it like say like okay whatever it is that you need help with or support with over the day and then just be like and drink it or um in my plant case depending on what's going on like if i want to if i want to love on them i'll just be like or like love on myself vis-a-vis and i'll just tip it out um and like having that kind of ritual in terms of like watering myself watering the plants like refreshing the water my ancestral altar right like i do good with the second half of what i just said like my plants and my altar but then i forget me so i'm claiming that as like i can do better on that but also just remembering that we always have the opportunity to remember that we're not separate from nature like i feel like unfortunately because of like wellness tm whatever that means there's this hyper commodification that happens that we have to grab up all the things and that we have to do all the spells and like it requires a spell kit from amazon that has nothing to do with the people who were the original stewards of the tradition and you know have been ostracized historically specifically indigenous to the americas teachings and all of that and it can really just be as simple as what my mother does every morning where she first thing she does before she wakes up is that she'll look out the window to look at the birds right like she'll just look at them listen to them see what's happening in you know the neighborhood of nature that is my childhood home and she'll do that before she looks at her phone before she interacts with anything else and then maybe after that she'll go feed um the cats um and then maybe she'll have some coffee and then maybe after that she'll look at her phone right like that's a very simple practice that she can do and because she does that it reminds me that i really don't always have to do and scroll first thing in the morning but then also being kind to ourselves right we're still alive in these kind of times we still have the habits that we have but also again there's a power in claiming things or naming like the cycles that we want to break and the cycles that we want to start around at least for me something that has come up since i've been visiting family this weekend that this podcast is being recorded is around health and like having conversations with my family around some of the things that they're experiencing and some of the things that they are working through and some of the habits that they're trying to break so that way that can be a cycle that they start and then i just pick it up of like oh, okay like i know my mom cut back on drinking soda and she dropped some weight so i should probably do that too or you know increasing my water intake but then also walking around more which is ironic because i live in a city that is very walkable but i don't walk around as much as i should and i don't take out i don't take up the nature that is around me if it's not you know in my room which it's in my room i got six plants i got it but i'm also just like there's more to experience there's more to be had there's more to live because the abundance is also our birthright and there's um there's no such thing as scarcity in nature so I love that. Leah, did you have any final thoughts? Oh, I just want to say thank you to Veronica. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom. This has been such a wholesome talk. Um, Yeah, that's all I have. Um, Well, I would like to thank you as well. And I'd like to thank you for your work. um, Because I feel like I think, like after that, writing workshop that you did or the circle that we did I feel like since then I've just been thinking about it even if it's not every day like it's at the back of my mind and it makes me feel it helps me to value my life a little bit more it's like this is not for nothing even when it feels like it and I know the way so many of my ancestors even when they weren't thinking about it the ones that I actually met 
what they have left with me, what I have taken from them growing up and just remembering things about them or things coming full circle, it's like, it was a gift that I would like to leave behind, you know? Um, I don't see my, I don't see myself having birth children or bearing children myself, but, you know, if I adopt or, you know, my, my nieces, nephews or whatever, um, that's who I think about. Like, I, I just, yeah, yeah. I won't go on a tangent, but I'm just thankful for this because it, 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 gave me the space to think about it and think about my life in a different kind of way, which is what I probably needed. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um, I really appreciate all the warm and fuzzies. All right. Well, that's going to be the show. Um, if you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review Hoodoo Plant Mamas on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If anything from the show resonated, with you make sure to share it with us on social media you can find us again on twitter at voodoo plants and instagram at voodoo plant mamas we will see you next time bye bye